This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the latest Liverpool.com podcast. Mo's away this week, so I'm going to step in for him. And let's be honest, as editor of Liverpool.com, it's probably time actually appeared on the podcast for once. We're going to be having a, a bit of a chat around Liverpool's midfield options coming into the new season on the show. And to do that, I've got James Martin and Ben Bocek both alongside me. James, Liverpool have got eight midfield players at the moment. Thiago, Fabinho, Henderson, Cater, Milner, Oxlade-Jones and Elliot and Jones. You've got Tyler Morton kind of in and amongst it as well at certain times last season. Just to start with, in terms of pure numbers, there's been a bit of debate around this over the last few days. Do you think that's enough? Yeah, I feel like I've not been on the podcast in weeks and weeks as well, to be fair. So um, nice to be back on. And yeah, it's... It's a tricky one in terms of the midfield because you you rattle off a lot of good options there and a lot of options that you probably would say are ready for more first team minutes. But then you do have to look at the kind of age profiles you're dealing with. You mentioned players like Elliot and of course it, it's more pronounced with Tyler Morton that th- these are very young players uh, and particularly in, in the latter case players who don't necessarily have that much senior experience. Of course with Elliot he had the championship loan and then he started to get some more minutes in, in the big games with Liverpool last season, particularly pre-injury. Um, so it really comes down to how much Klopp trusts those players in terms of chucking them in in the big games. It's it's hard to weigh up exactly where his head's at in the sense that we saw with Elliot pre-injury, he was playing games like Chelsea. We were thinking, OK, it, you know, Klopp sees him as the real deal. And I'm sure he does long term. But in terms of the here and now, when we got to the the run-in, the business end of the season, there was maybe a little bit more caution in in throwing him back into those games. He played him, I think, against Inter Milan in the Champions League. And then sort of after that, he was quite lesser spotted, really, for the rest of the season with the, the more kind of established names preferred. Um, and yeah, I've just been doing a piece on the schedule this season. It is absolutely mad in terms of how many games, how thick and fast they come, just trying to work around the, the Winter World Cup. So much as eight midfielders sounds on its face, like, yes, of course it's going to be enough. Why would it not be enough? Suddenly, when you start to look at the profile of some of those midfielders and you start to look at just how many games are coming, you start to think, well, maybe, maybe one more wouldn't hurt. I suppose that's the key thing, isn't it, Ben? You look at the number of names, probably eight players or eight senior players, if you take Tyler Morton out of it, is is probably about right. But then you think, well, Nabi Keita doesn't have the best injury record. Thiago can get injuries at certain times. James Milner is, what, 36, 37 now. How many of those players can you actually trust to, to stay fit for the entirety of the season? I suppose that's more the question, isn't it, rather than the actual number on its own? Yeah, of course. And then on top of that, there's the accenture of you know that number being reduced, possibly this summer with Oxlade-Chamberlain. You know, I, I think the club would like to keep him probably, but if the right offer comes, you never know what will happen there. Um, so, so that could also still reduce. Uh, but what I would like to add is, I think, you know, Fabio Kawaii Liverpool have said that they want to play him in attack, but he's also someone who could potentially play in that midfield. So that gives Liverpool another option there as well. Um, and I don't know, it, I think there's enough there uh, for Liverpool, anyway, you know, you, you, Henderson can come in and sort of cover for Fabinho if Fabinho is injured, and uh, I think you, Curtis Jones can also do a job. But I think at the same time, uh, there's going to be a lot of expectation from these young players, the likes of Elliot, 
Jones and even Cavallo and, and Morton to step up, which uh, I, I do worry about. There's not that much senior experience there if, if there is injuries or, um, in terms of cover. But uh, at the same time, like who could Liverpool target? Who would be content about sitting on the bench for the vast majority of the season and uh, only coming in to play the Elliot or the Jones role? So it's a bit of a dilemma for Liverpool, I think, because it is difficult to target those sort of profiles. And uh, while you would like the cushion, that, that safety, that protection, if, if there is an injury crisis like we saw with the, the centre-backs uh, a couple of seasons ago, um, I think Liverpool were in the same boat as they were then, that they had their man lined up already and they didn't really want to add anyone else to the team. And um, for that reason, I think uh, Liverpool will, won't make any moves and they'll be confident with the players that they have. I think a big part of that, James, is probably the Oxlade-Chamberlain question. We've all mentioned him now already in terms of, of what happens with him moving forwards. Obviously, one year left on his contract probably isn't the priority in terms of getting a new deal. But if he stays, do we do we sort of see a little bit more maybe of, of him than, than what we have done up to this point? I think probably what works in his favour as well is that you know he, he can play in, in those attacking roles. I suppose the obvious area is understudied to Mohamed Salah, that there isn't a clear one in the squad unless, again, we go very young and start talking about Kate Gordon. Again, remains to be seen where Klopp's head is at in terms of how many minutes he gets. But I think that's probably the reason why, well, one of the reasons why Klopp is sort of toying with keeping Oxlade-Chamberlain around because... He does have the chance to play in the midfield and then he can also double in attack. Whether we'd see him more in, in midfield, not necessarily because, I mean, there aren't really too many outgoings to speak of in, the, in that middle of the park area. It's it's literally just a case of if the injuries start building up and, you know, the, the congestion starts building up, do we maybe see him rotated in a bit more? But we kind of saw him in that role anyway. And of course, there's no, there's no January African Cup of Nations to... To contend with this season um so in that respect an obvious window for him to, to get to minutes is gone so yeah i could definitely see the logic in cashing in if there was a if there was a buyer this summer i was i was a little bit surprised to see those reports that maybe he's um he's wanted in terms of being being kept around the club but it's like we talked about that number very quickly dwindles when you start selling off the the squad players, the depth is why Liverpool were able to to go for that quadruple last season and end up with the cup double. I mean, if even if we had to play slightly weaker teams in those FA Cup in those earlier FA Cup rounds, earlier League Cup rounds, we may well have gone out. We've seen it many, many times under Klopp. We've seen him accused of disrespecting the competition. Uh, whereas the reality is that was just where the depth was at that time. Um, and Oxley Chamberlain is certainly very strong depth option to have uh, but it, that's that's what it all comes back to you can't really look at the midfield as one one unit like we've maybe been doing so far you have to look at the kind of profiles within there you have ones like Oxlade Chamberlain who like I mentioned can also go into attack and then you look at someone like Fabinho and you think well who's understudy there that's the big question I think Ben mentioned Henderson he can do a job there I don't think it's anyone's favorite role for Henderson but beyond that basically there's no one and and I think that's probably the biggest issue when you're looking at midfield depth going into the new season yeah James there mentioned the the sort of backup Ben in terms of, of Fabinho the obvious answer is 
Henderson. For me, I, I was a little bit concerned at times last season when Henderson had to play there consistently. But there is a part of me as well that thinks that maybe that is the role that he has to play as he gets a little bit older. Maybe he can't do the number eight role quite so uh, quite so effectively, I suppose, in terms of you know if if his fitness levels or or that kind of thing drop off to a certain extent. But what do you make of it? Is 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 that a concern for you heading into the new season as it stands Liverpool going in without anyone apart from Henderson as that backup? Well, I think it was a concern last season as well. So it has to be a bit of a concern going into this season. But at the same time, I think Henderson towards the end of last season was fairly competent in the role. So that gives me a bit more reassurance. And at the same time, um, I think, Morton is someone who could we could potentially see in that role. I do like him better in a number eight role, but he can play that number six as well. And uh, in League Cup games, potentially he he could cover in that position uh, just to you know ease the load off of Fabinho's shoulders really with with the fixture congestion. And um, like I said, two of many would have been a good target um, because he could play the holding midfield role and the number eight role as well. Uh, but other than too many, there's not that many options for Liverpool, uh, the, the right options anyway, to, to to get a holding midfielder who would be content just playing second fiddle to Fabinho. So Liverpool are in a bit of a conundrum, I think, in that regard. Uh, while it is a little bit of a concern, um, FSG will not, I'm probably not going to be willing to spend, you know, a major transfer fee on a player who's going to be a fringe player at the end of the day. So I think it's a risk that Liverpool will have to make and they have to go into the season just believing in in, in the makeshift options, really, in Henderson and Morton. Just before we move on from Jordan Henderson, James, he played 56 times, I think, last season. Obviously, some of those games were substitute appearances. It wasn't all starts, but he did look very, very tired at certain points. It's probably not the point in his career to be playing him that many times. I think that's that's a bit of a concern for me as well, that if you've got to use him as the backup option for Fabinho, that's another position that he's got to kind of fill in at times. It doesn't really bode well in terms of giving him enough rest and really you only see the best of Jordan Henderson when he's not absolutely shattered so I think that sort of adds to that dilemma as well. Yeah absolutely I think it's easy to sort of focus on the injuries and you go well we got through the season and you know he hasn't got injured so clearly it's worked the rotation has has done its job but you do need to factor in those those more kind of intangible questions of fatigue it's it's hard to point to a it's single performance and say he was tired there you know it's only the only the player will really know if 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 that's true. But certainly, with the the accumulation of minutes, you wouldn't be surprised if if certain fixtures over the course of the season were a struggle in terms of just yeah the, the fatigue setting in. Um, like you say, he's he's in his thirties now. It's it's not the time to be to be putting these kind of these kind of asks on him. But then you do look at the younger players coming through, and and you think, okay, well. Maybe that's that's their role to play right now. You don't want to rely on them as as even the first backup just yet. But you know you have Cater in that kind of next man up role, if you like. If you consider the first choice midfield to be Fabinho, Henderson, Thiago, which I think at the moment most people would. So you know you have you have Cater to to ease the immediate load, and then when when Henderson has maybe been having to fill in as the six and he hasn't been getting the rest he needs, that's when you have the likes of. Jones, the likes of Elliot, 
and as Ben rightly mentioned, Cavalio can play there. So, yeah, it's it's tricky because I I don't want to be too negative about it because it's it's a very strong midfield unit, um, and those young players are extremely exciting young players. I don't think anyone would bemoan seeing them on a more regular basis because that's you know that's the future of the club we're talking about. It's, it's exciting to see them slowly getting integrated, but there it's just such a difficult balancing act. Uh, and yeah, you've got one end of the spectrum with Henderson getting on, being much more experienced. And the other end, a lot of youth, maybe, maybe there is that need for someone just a little bit more in the middle. And I suppose that's where you circle back to the likes of Oxford chamberlain I think, well, maybe that's that's why people want to keep him around because he does fit into that bracket quite nicely. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, I suppose the other thing as well is that it's five subs, isn't it, in the Premier League next season. So maybe there's a little bit more in-game rotation that can start to happen as well. Maybe, you know, maybe that's where Oxlade-Chamberlain suddenly becomes really useful because he can be a fifth sub on 80 minutes every week or whatever it might be. We'll soon see in terms of, of that. You mentioned Harvey Elliott and Curtis Jones, Ben, before. Obviously, two players that... We're all very excited to see what might happen next season with the pair of them, particularly Harvey Elliott, I think is is, is probably got a higher ceiling, I think it's fair to say, but Curtis Jones as well for me is, is one of those that could have very much a long-term career at Liverpool. In terms of sort of minutes, what has to be the expectation, do you think, for, for each of those players next season? Is it is it even the same for both players or, or would you put them into to slightly different categories? Well, I think Jones, because he's slightly older, I, I know you said, Elliot has the higher ceiling, but I think because Jones is slightly older, he should be looking at getting more minutes than Elliot. And uh, because of the five-man substitutions, he he is someone who I would expect to play week in, week out, and definitely start in uh, every sort of domestic cup fixture that Liverpool have, and having a senior role there really. Um, and, and and getting a few goals and assists in, in those domestic cups, which we maybe didn't really see Jones do last season. Um, but yeah, I, I'd expect him to play a big role. And uh, the same with Elliot as well. Obviously, the injury reduced his minutes massively last season, but I expect him to have a, 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 a lot more minutes with the five-man substitution than um, perhaps he did towards the end of last season when Klopp didn't really use him. Sometimes he didn't even make the squad. Uh, for some of the games. So I, I do expect both of them to play more of a role. Uh, obviously, Milner's getting on in age and uh, Klopp n- needs to know that he, he can rely on his younger players. And uh, it's the same with, I think, Thiago and Henderson, who are getting into their 30s as well. And Klopp will be thinking about the long term now because he does have a long term contract, thankfully, at Liverpool. Uh, so he, he does have to think about the long term. And Jones and Elliot and uh, potentially even Kawaiyo if, if if he drops back are those players who are going to be carrying on in the future on the club and uh, for that reason I expect them all to be fairly involved in the first team um, heading into next season. I think that's important as well in terms of the pathway isn't it James in terms of, of Elliot and Jones I'm pretty sure that Fabio Cavallio will have signed for Liverpool because partly he's seen those two players being given opportunities if if Liverpool want to have the future talents coming to them in future transfer windows, they've got to give these players opportunities next season. Yeah, I mean it's very neat with with Elliot and Carvalho, isn't it? Given that they were both in the in the youth ranks at Fulham, so it's just a very clear pathway for Carvalho to watch, see exactly what they've done with Elliot, and see how 
how he has been integrated into that first team despite still being so young himself. Uh, but yeah, you're right to point out Jones as well. He has been in and around the team. You know, it's, his minutes have sort of waxed and waned a little bit. Sometimes he's, he seems to be quite heavily involved and then we don't see him for weeks on end. Um, but yeah, he's another, he's another almost mysterious player, if you like, Curtis Jones. I don't think anyone quite knows where his best role is. I don't know if Klopp even really knows where his best role is. And then he also has a bit of the navigator about him in the sense that you look at his statistical profiles, he seems to be lighting up every box. He's one of the players where if Liverpool signed him today, everyone would definitely be absolutely buzzing with it. But then sort of when you're watching for Liverpool, you, it is a bit of a mystery in terms of, OK, how do we get the best out of this clearly extremely talented player? Um, be very interested to see what next season brings. And I do hope it does bring more minutes for him because I, I feel like he's the kind of player who who would need that that more sort of regular game time. And I, and I hope it's something Liverpool can provide. And yeah, it is. It is very important in terms of the, the transfer pitch to other young players because we've seen it so clearly at other clubs like, I mean, Borussia Dortmund, I suppose, are the obvious model. Uh, but Liverpool have the extra challenge of doing that and, and enticing young players without the, the kind of promise of selling them on in a few years' time. They have to prove that the pathway is there at Liverpool to get into the first team and stay there in one of the best teams in the world. It's it's a big ask and it's it's again going back to what we were saying before about the, the midfield as a whole it's such a balancing act to get this right because you know another selling point for Liverpool is that it's up there with the best teams in the world and if you flood the team with teenagers then that that status might not last for too much longer I mean they don't want to go down the hole you can't with anything with kids route because that's you know that's that can get that can backfire dramatically but um yeah it's, it's, it's a balance that's needed but certainly I Klopp even if he hadn't extended through to uh, through for another two years, he would have been looking at the long-term health of the club, I'm sure. But as Ben says, it'll be even more in his mind now that he will want to uh, to ensure that Liverpool can keep attracting the top young talent and that will involve keep making sure that pathway remains open. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we'll see a lot more of, of Curtis Jones next season. It's easy to forget, isn't it, how many little injuries and little untimely absences that he had. He just couldn't really get any rhythm. He even got an injury, didn't he, before the opening day of, of the season with that double header and didn't really kind of get going and, and into rhythm after that so that'll certainly be interesting just before we kind of move on to, to a couple of other bits Ben just in terms of another young player Fabio Cavallio I know is someone that you're very excited to see what he does at Liverpool I mean there is the option of, of a 4-2-3-1 formation there is the opportunity to maybe turn him into a kind of Harvey Elliott Curtis Jones number eight as well I mean with him, we don't expect him to go out on loan. Be interesting to see how quickly he settles in pre-season. But again, he's another one that you've got to try and find those minutes for. And presumably, the fact that he's not going out on loan means that Liverpool are going to find a way to do that. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting, I think, because he is of a similar profile, I think, to Jones and Elliot. Um, you know, Jones got a lot of goals in the creative number 10 role in the academy. And I think that sort of skews perceptions of him in Liverpool's first team because everyone's expecting him to score a bunch of goals but of course he plays a completely different role uh, in Liverpool's midfield and it'll be interesting to see if Cavallo takes on that number eight role if that's something Klopp tries out but if if we do switch to a 4-2-3-1 system where we see maybe you know Nunes being deployed as the number nine with a, a number 10 behind him I think it would not only benefit Kawaii, like we saw how good Kawaii was with Mitrovic in the championship, but I think uh, Jones and Elliot as well, because I think that role 
favors them and suits them perfectly. And I think they'll, they'll be, they would be more comfortable in that position. I think Jones is one of Jones's best games at Liverpool was against Porto last season, where he kind of played at the tip of that midfield diamond um, and Elliot as well. Uh, Liverpool saw the best of him when he was playing in, in, in a midfield diamond for Liverpool against Chelsea in the Premier League and, and Leeds as well before his unfortunate injury. And I think it will be very interesting to see that formation because Liverpool certainly have a few players who can, who can play that role now. And, and, and of course, Nuno as well. It, this would be perfectly suited to the number nine role. I think a 4-2-3-1 also kind of helps to answer the, the midfield question, doesn't it, James? If Liverpool are short of midfielders, they're certainly not short of attackers. You can probably, in a lot of games, certainly say at Anfield against a, a bottom 10 Premier League team, it probably wouldn't be that dramatic to go 4-2-3-1 and just go with a, a double pivot instead. Yeah, it seems to be a neat solution. It, it even helps out the attack in some respects. You look at someone like Roberto Firmino and you think, well, if there's a number 10 role... I'm sure he could play in it from time to time. He almost interpreted his, his number nine role as a number 10 role anyway, so it doesn't seem like a huge stretch by any means. And again, I would circle back to the to the five subs situation. In, in this case, it's it's one where, okay, maybe, you, maybe a lot of the players who are fitting that profile are quite young, but, you know, if one of them is maybe a little overawed, there's there's others waiting to, to step in and... and um, and maybe offer something else. And then obviously having mentioned Firmino, you do have that experienced option as well. So yeah, it does seem to solve a lot of problems. I, I suppose the uh, the counter argument is that the 4-3-3 has been the kind of cornerstone of all of the success under Klopp. And, you know, I, I think there's every, every year for the first few years, there were talks of him saying, you know, he wants to sign a number 10, he wants to find his new Goethe, whereas in reality, he just evolved on from that. It's... Um, so that there's a whiff of sort of falling into the trap of thinking that this has been the plan all along, um, whereas that would I think probably devalue how how effective the the current system has been. I, I don't think Klopp will be desperate to change it. I don't think he's been looking for a way to change it for for years. It's just a case of whether he thinks it fits the personnel better. And and certainly with with Carvalho through the door, I think that case is is more convincing than it has been in a long while. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Absolutely. It certainly seems likely that Liverpool will wait another year for a midfield signing. So there will be solutions. There will be things that they are thinking about in terms of that. But let's have a little bit of a conversation around why they might be waiting. I think Jude Bellingham is the obvious answer. So we'll have a bit of a chat about him, a little bit of a chat about Gavi as well at Barcelona, who's being linked a lot. But just before we do that, there's a lot of talk, Ben, at the moment around Genie Wijnaldum, a potential stopgap for a season. Personally, I can't see why Liverpool would be interested in that happening, but there is a little bit of a case, a little bit of an argument as to why it might make sense on loan. Is is that something that you would think about and is it something that you think Jurgen Klopp might think about? I mean, potentially, yes. I, I do see the point where Wijnaldum, you know, he knows the system, he understands the club. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't have the worst season by all accounts, but he didn't have a very impressive season at PSG as well. Obviously, he's looking to rekindle his form and there is, uh, I think from his end as well, there's the sort of allure of going back to Anfield where things were so good for him and things that things had worked out for him there. And um, 
that that would be tempting for him from Liverpool's perspective. Obviously, they wouldn't complain if if they had another body in there, especially if um, Oxley Chamberlain leaves and Ronaldo is someone they're confident he can, he can do the job. And if if he is available for a loan um, with you know a relatively low loan fee, then I think Liverpool could be tempted by it because they know they have you know their their probably main priority next summer in, in Jude Bellingham and they know that's the long-term solution but uh, having experienced what could happen when for example they waited for Konate and after Dejan Lovren left the club um, and, and the injury crisis that happened I'm sure they'll be a little bit anxious about that happening again in midfield particularly with with the injury track record of, of some of the Liverpool players so it's something I think they would be tempted to explore, but from you know just looking at every FSG deal in the past, it does feel very unlikely to to happen. Yeah, let's talk about Jude Bellingham then, James. It doesn't seem that likely that Liverpool would go back for Wijnaldum, but I think it's probably fair to say it's a lot more likely that they might go for Jude Bellingham next summer. I think it's fair to say that they're fairly big admirers of him. It's going to be a big price tag that it takes to get him. But is he the number one, do you think? I think so. It's um, it's it's rare you get a player that complete at that age. We've been talking a lot about ages this this pod, or at least I have anyway. Um, but yeah, the, the kind of trade-off applies a lot less with a player like Bellingham because he has that high-level experience already. So the age issue becomes not an issue at all. In fact, it becomes more of an upside because it just means you have an elite player for, you know, a decade or more provided, you know, nothing goes wrong in terms of injuries. Even if his development completely stalled, you would you would already have an elite player for, for the next 10 years because that's what he is now. Um, so the allure is, is, is clear from, from the Liverpool perspective. And of course, it's quite clear why Bellingham would want to join as well, even putting aside all of the, the little things he said about Gerard and how he how he's idolised him. And of course, he's got the uh, the relationship with Henderson that we've seen on international duty. Even if you put all that to one side, Liverpool is exactly the kind of club which players who join Borussia Dortmund are planning on eventually getting to. That, that's the reason why they get so many of these young talents is because they offer the pathway to the top clubs. Liverpool, thankfully, are, are in a position where they are one of those top clubs. I think the only conceivable stumbling block is, is money. Um, we've seen with Darwin Nunez that FSG will stump up transfer fees. That's not going to be too much of a problem, particularly if if there are a couple of outgoings that can help fund it. it it's a case of wages. We don't know what Bellingham will be asking for. The fact that, you know, um, Bellingham is being talked about so often as, as a plausible, you know, possibility suggests that, you know, there's some sounding out has potentially gone on and, and Liverpool haven't been completely put off. By, by whatever they think it might take in terms of wages. But that's always a possibility. There's always a case that a Manchester United could come in and blow Liverpool out of the water in terms of wage demands, and then it comes down to the player. It's a case of, are they sold on the project or do they go to whoever's offering them the most? And if it's the latter case, I don't think Liverpool win too often because that's just not the way FSG do business. And the way FSG have done business is one Liverpool, you know, everything available to them. So I don't think... Don't think there can be too many complaints. It's just a case of we have to be a bit realistic, maybe not get too carried away with Bellingham. But if they could pull it off, it would it would certainly be a massive coup. 
yeah, I think if he was tempted by bigger wages elsewhere, he's probably not a player that Liverpool would want to have anyway, if that was the case. But I suppose the only concern really for, for me, Ben, in terms of what happens between now and next summer is obviously there is a World Cup at which Bellingham is almost certain to be in that England squad. If And this is a very big if England go far in the tournament and Bellingham is one of the stars of that tournament. Suddenly everyone's going to be interested and Borussia Dortmund could hike up the price. I mean, as I say, it's it's maybe not going to happen, but it is a possibility. No, it is a possibility, or although however unlikely it is, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. You know, uh, after after the recent results, especially, I I I don't know how that will go down, um, or whether England are able to pick pick up their form in time for the World Cup. Um, but having watched Bellingham in, in those England games, he he already stood out, I think, and even though England didn't have the best uh, recent fixtures results really in the Nations League I think I watched Bellingham live against Hungary and, and, and he was one of their best players and he, he always stands out so even if England don't have a good tournament I think Bellingham could still make a name for himself uh, in England anyway because uh, I think the casual football observers will know of the Premier League players in the England team but they might not have known much about Bellingham and if he he does make a name for himself in the starting eleven. That can certainly, you know, um, pump up his price higher. Um, but uh, what I would say is, I think the reason Liverpool do think that they can potentially do a deal is because he's I, I, he's not represented by an agency, as far as I'm aware. So he, he's represented by his parents, and I think that could help in sort of negotiations for a contract and and that sort of thing. And and at the same time. Um, I think Liverpool have shown that they can negotiate those sort of, um, you know, really uh, like those sort of clause, added on clauses and stuff with, with transfer fees, which Dortmund might be willing to accept, accept. We don't know, but that that could be a possibility. They, they did it with Darwin Nunes, uh, which could potentially become a record transfer for Liverpool. But at the same time, the initial upfront fee was fairly reasonable and I think Liverpool might be confident that they can do the same with Bellingham and uh, for those factors I think they will be confident of getting the deal done even if there is a World Cup performance that 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 catches the eye of, of some other teams potentially. Yeah it certainly feels like he's the number one target certainly for fans anyway I know it's something we have all been talking about for a long time because that's what the Liverpool fans have been talking about but I suppose there will be a list, James, of other options that Liverpool could look at. They won't put all of their eggs into the Jude Bellingham basket just in case a repeat of what happened with Aurelian Chouameni this summer happens. But I suppose, is, is there any names? I mentioned Gavi before. Is is he the obvious alternative or is there anyone else that you would have an eye on in terms of, of possibly, if Bellingham wasn't possible, then someone that Liverpool could target instead? Um, yeah, I think it's interesting with Gavi. I think he's probably... In the in the news in the headlines the most at the moment because everyone's trying to puzzle out exactly what's going on with his release clause. If it is indeed forty three million still, then obviously that that seems like a pretty low price. I mean, in some senses, it feels like a very high price because he's some seventeen year old kid who's had one season at the top. But the way the market's going, a player of, of his quality and um, with Barcelona having such high hopes for him, it also seems perhaps cheaper than you'd pay just just from putting in a bid. So I think that's probably why he's he's dominating the the news cycles. But I think 
looking elsewhere in Barcelona shouldn't be written out, written off entirely either. I mean, you look at Pedri, he was the one maybe generating all of that hype before Gavi. It's it's just since he signed that new deal, it, it's almost gone away. And I think that's unrealistic. I think we've seen with Frankie de Jong how he, he was not for sale by all accounts until quite recently, but the financial realities at Barcelona mean they have to countenance a sale if the right big comes in. And I, I don't think that's any different with Pedri. They're, I mean, he's their golden boy. They don't want to lose him, but it, it all comes down to the finances. And in a year's time, we don't know where they'll be. We don't know where Xavi will be with his rebuilds. Maybe there's someone he'll, he's desperate to get in, but the numbers simply don't add up without a big outgoing transfer. And, you know, if that happens, Pedri's back on the market. And I think he's, he's really exciting and potentially slightly more stylistically similar to, to Jude Bellingham. It's, um, you know, it's, it's hard to say because, again, that, that these players are still developing, that they're yet to be necessarily fully moulded into, into the player they'll become. That's one of the appeals for Klopp. He can mould the player into what he wants at Liverpool. And I think he could do that with Gavi or with Pedri. But um, I'd certainly be excited by, by either of them. Yeah, I'd certainly be excited by Pedri. I think he spent a lot of this season out injured, which is probably why the hype has died down a little bit. But I'm sure that will certainly come back at some point soon. But I suppose for now, the thing that we do know is it doesn't look like Liverpool are going to sign a midfielder until 2023. But whatever the decision, Jurgen Klopp does tend to get these things right. But that will just about do us for today's podcast. Thank you to James and to Ben for joining me. And don't worry, your usual Liverpool.com podcast host will be back very soon. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.